Daniel chapter 2. We're in Daniel chapter 2. <clears throat> and I think most of you remember we're going verse by verse through the book of Daniel. Well, that's just not going to stay there, is it? Like that. All right, Daniel chapter 2. And we'll begin reading in verse number 1 this morning. Daniel 2 and verse 1. It says, And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled, and his sleep brake from him. Now, this might be more of a technical issue. Of course, we're going to spend the majority of the time talking about the details of his dream. But it says there, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, just go back to chapter 1 and verse 1. And I'm, I'm reading this with you just to remind you of what we've already covered. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Now, I, I'm just, hopefully that triggers something in your memory. I gave you a verse back in Jeremiah that said in the third year, it was actually the third and the fourth year, it was kind of like three and a half of Jehoiakim, it was Nebuchadnezzar's first year. Right? Now, the reason I point that out, go back to chapter 2 and verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, he has this dream. So in the first year of Neb's reign, he takes Judah captive. Daniel goes into captivity. In the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he has this dream. Now we read in the chapter that Daniel goes in and interprets the dream, right? I think you know how the story goes. He eventually goes in to interpret it. But he is counted among the wise men of the Chaldean people, of the Babylonians, which seems to indicate one of two things. E either this, that while he was in training, right? This would have been, if you, if you map it out on the, on the uh, timetable, Daniel would have been in captivity for one year already by the time Neb had this dream. So possibly the Babylonians considered these wise men and astrologers and so forth, even while they were in training, they were considered official wise men, and therefore Nebuchadnezzar's uh, condemnation upon them all would also apply to Daniel, and that's why he stepped up and, and prayed and got the interpretation. Or, and I kind of lean towards option number two, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream in the second year of his reign, but remember Daniel, it took him three years to complete the course right, the, the college course of being qualified as a wise man, and then maybe Nebuchadnezzar has the dream in his second year, but he waits until two years later to ask about it. This time, by this time, Daniel's graduated and has entered in as an official position in the kingdom. Now, you might think that that sounds a bit strange. Why would Nebuchadnezzar wait? Have you ever had a dream, and you woke up the next day, and you knew, you know that you dreamed something, but you can't remember the dream? And then maybe later on, something triggers that. And you go, wait a minute. I, now I, I remember I had a dream, but I, I can't remember all the details of it. I think that's what's happening. Now, either way, right, it doesn't, the timing of it is not crucial to understanding the story. Either way, it's still an amazing story, and we learn some great things about God stepping in and offering answers when no one else can give answers. So the timing of it isn't all that important. But... I do think it's interesting that Nebuchadnezzar, if you can keep that in your mind, perhaps he has forgotten the dream for two years and then he steps in and says to his, 
his counselors, hey guys, tell me what I dreamed two years ago and tell me the interpretation thereof. Well, I mean, okay, it's bad enough if you ask me to tell you what you dreamt last night, but if you've waited two years and it's just now dawned on you that you had this nightmare slash vision slash dream and now you want help, that's, what are you asking? How could you ask something like that? And I think as the story goes on, you'll see why I lean towards one idea there. Now, a little bit more I want to say in verse one. He dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. All right, so he's dreaming dreams, plural. He's dreaming dreams, multiple. And then he, he, he's waking up and going, oh, what was that? What was that? Now he's going to start seeking after answers. And a lot of people, they struggle with dreams, right? And, and that it, when I say struggle with dreams, not just nightmares, but why do I keep dreaming every night? What does this mean? Are these dreams coming from God? Is it the devil perhaps putting these dreams in my mind? And uh, dreams have long been a mystery to humanity. To this day, science uh, fails to completely, and I, let me say completely, to barely explain the phenomenon of dreams. Where do they come from? How do they, uh, you know, how do they manifest in our minds? What do they mean? Some of the greatest minds of psychology, I am not well-versed in Freud, and Jung. I have read Sigmund Freud a little bit. I've read Carl Jung. These were psychologists and psychiatrists back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Sigmund Freud, I don't know if you're familiar with his approach to psychology, but he had the Oedipal complex. That is, he thought that every young man was infatuated with his mother and everything was related to some sort of carnal desire, if I can put it delicately. And so therefore, he thought every dream is to be interpreted in that carnal sense, right? And uh, that's, you're going to see biblically, that's just nonsense. There's no way that every dream is linked to that uh, physical passion. Young, on the other hand, he says that every dream was your, and forgive me, I don't know if you'd say subconscious or unconscious mind trying to explain life to your conscience mind. So as if, as you go through life, you're picking up on signals, but back here. And you're not really noticing it. When you go to sleep, this activates and starts talking to this, going, hey, this is what's happening in your life, and it starts explaining things to you. Now, Jung went further, and forgive me, I don't mean to bore you with it, but he thought that all of our minds were somehow connected. So what was going on in your life could somehow influence mine. I can't see that or pick up on that with my conscious mind, but unconsciously I know and feel this connection, and that's where he thought all dreams came from. So every dream would explain something in your life. Well, now, if you believe that, That'll drive you crazy. You'll go bonkers because you'll think, okay, I got to learn from this dream. What is this dream trying to tell me? Uh, mind, what are you saying to me? Hello, hello, <laughs> wake up back there. <laughs> wake up up here. You don't know what's going on. You'd go nuts uh, trying to figure all that stuff out. Now, I want to show you a few verses. Let's get to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Priediker, Fiala Afrikaners. Priediker, chapter 5. Now, let me, let me say and acknowledge, it's not as if Freud was completely wrong. Yes, obviously, certain people deal with sexual repression and all of that stuff. I mean, it's not as if there was no truth in what he said. Same thing with Jung. Sometimes your unconscious mind does pick up on little things that you don't think about actively during the day. So I, I don't, I'm not going to throw all of their conclusions out, but there's, it's certainly much more. There's much more to this topic than what they said. Ecclesiastes 5, let's get verse number 3. 
Let's see what the Bible says about dreams. All right, it says here, for a dream cometh through the multitude of business. And a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. Now, forgive me, we don't delve into the entire context of this. Let's just look at the first part of verse 3. A dream comes through the multitude of business. I think we've all experienced this at some point, right? Where you're busy dealing with or thinking about a particular thing. Whether it's a stressful thing or maybe just your work, you know. You're having a busy week or day or month at work. And what can happen is when you go to sleep, your mind keeps working even though your body's sleeping. I don't think there's any great mystery to that. That is not your unconscious mind explaining anything. That's just your mind, right? It's, it's just your mind being active. I remember after I got my first, um, well, not my first job, but my, my first serious job, uh, I was working at McDonald's, and I was, what, 17, and, and I was trying to work. I, I was taught by my dad to work hard, so I was the best bun flipper you've ever seen, man. That was my first station at McDonald's. I was the bun toaster. I stood there for eight hours toasting buns, toasting buns, buns in, buns out, buns in, buns out. Well, at McDonald's, as you might know, I mean, even if you've never worked there, you can figure this out. There are timers and buzzers for everything. So you, you put 12 buns in, put the press down, and that automatically triggers a timer. And I don't know, 20 seconds, 30 seconds later, beep, 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 it's time to take the buns out. Well, then you got the chicken cooker, the chicken vat, you know, where the chicken nuggets go in. That has a timer. And then the meat patties have a timer. The fries have a timer. The fish has a timer. The queuing stations, the microwaves, the registers, the when somebody pulls in the drive-thru, ding, dong, hi, welcome to McDonald's. Man, take your, you, we can hear all of that in the kitchen. Man, I went to, I went to bed that night. It was eight hours straight of bing, bing, beep, 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 hello, welcome to McDonald's. Oh. I went to bed, and about every 30 minutes, I was waking up going, hello, wake up, oh. Beep, beep, oh. <laughs> My sleep break from me. Now, to me, I wasn't saved at the time, but that proves verse 3 true, right? <laughs> the dream came through the multitude of business. That's all that it was. You don't need to read deeply into it. It was just that. Your dream came because that's what was on your mind. Full stop. All right, but let's take it a step further. This is one possibility, and I would say probably this is where most of your dreams come from. Probably. Most of them come from this. Is it possible, however, that the devil can put a dream in your mind? And I know this is a question that comes up often, so that's why I'm putting it in the lesson this morning. Um, can, now, let's ask it like this. Can he implant a dream? Like, like put a thought in your head? No. No. No more than I could. Now, I say that, but I say that carefully. He is obviously more subtle and, and smarter than me, so he would know how to, how to do this in your life to get that thought stuck in your head. But I can also get a thought stuck in your head. All I have to do is repeat a certain thing and, and make a certain movement when I'm saying that certain thing, and all of a sudden, every time it, this comes around, you're going to start to think thing, and then every time I thing, and then all I have to do is a thing, and it's... <laughs> you knew I was coming next, right? <laughs> I, I can also get a thought stuck in your head. You understand where I, I'm going with that. So yes, the devil can, can occupy your mind by doing something externally. Does that make sense? He can surround you with a certain thing and therefore get you preoccupied with it. And in that way, he plays along with verse 3. 
he gets you busy with that thing and through the multitude of business you begin to think on that thing all right so don't I don't want you to get the idea that the devil can put thoughts in your mind just like you've seen these cartoons where there's a little angel on this shoulder and a little devil on this one he can whisper in your ear sure but it's up to you whether or not you accept that thought or take that thought captive and bring it unto the obedience of Christ to say wait a minute I don't know who's saying that but that doesn't sound like God that doesn't sound like the Holy Spirit. That must be some other spirit. I'm going to reject that thought. Rather, submit myself, therefore, unto God. Resist the devil and let him flee. See, so you, you can cut that off before it ever gets to that dream stage. Now, if you have a dream and you're not quite sure where it came from, you think, now, I, I haven't been busy with this. It's not something I've been anxious about. This dream kind of just came out of nowhere. Now, is this something that the devil's been, you know, putting around me and I'm just now picking up on it? Or is this the Lord trying thing? Is this the Lord trying to get my attention? Because I think that's a legitimate question. Is it possible that God can put a dream through your mind? Well, sure. Yeah, God can. We know this, right? Biblically, God does communicate through dreams. But is it possible, right? How, I should say, how do you know that the dream you had did come from him? So look at Genesis chapter 40. I, I don't mean to grossly oversimplify this, but guys, here's the answer. If you had a dream and you want to know if it came from God, ask him. Ask him. Right? If, if you've ever, you know, heard something and, and you're not quite sure where that sound came from or who said that, what do you do? You look around and you go, did you say that? Did that come from you? You just ask. And, and if you had a dream and you're not quite sure, you can ask the Lord. Lord, did, are you trying to say something? Or is this something else? Anything I should worry about? You know, think about, do something about, and then take it from there. Genesis 40, verse 8. Uh, this is where the butler and the baker of Pharaoh has had some dreams. In verse 8, they said unto him, they said to uh, Joseph, we have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, do not interpretations belong to who? To God. Tell me them, I pray you. He says, listen, I, I have a connection with God. Tell me your dreams. It's not as if Joseph is saying, I will give you the interpretation because I know God. Right? He's saying, I will take this thing to God and ask him about it and then let him give the interpretation. So Joseph's not leaning on his own wisdom or what he has learned about God in the past. He's saying, I can talk to God about this and get an answer for you. You can do the same thing. Now, if you're not sure, say, I have prayed about it, but this is all kind of new to me. Kind of new to this prayer thing and to this Bible thing. Haven't been a Christian very long. You can go to whatever Joseph you have in your life and say, can you pray about this with me? Can you help me with this? Get some advice. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. You're allowed to ask about that. Um, take your Bible. Come to Job chapter 33. Let me show you this idea of asking someone else their opinion on it. Bearing in mind, they, that person is just another human, but they might be able to point you in the right direction. Job 33. And let's begin at verse 14. Job 33 and 14. The Bible says, For God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. God can try to get your attention. You missed it. And I think that's the story of most of us, right? And then God will double up. 
And he'll say that same thing, maybe through another method or channel or something, but he will try to communicate that message to you. And, and he's just trying to explain something that's going on in your life, trying to help. But we, being frail and human, we often miss what God is trying to say. Isn't that true? Isn't it true we look back after maybe some years and go, oh, now I see what God was doing, right? All right, so verse number 15, this is one way that God communicates. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men, in slumberings upon the bed, then he openeth the ears of men and sealeth their instruction. Now, what does he mean by seals it? Well, he's going to be the final say on it. He says, I'm going to prove to you, and by giving it to you in a dream, you can't take credit for figuring it out. You were asleep for the whole procedure, right? So God put that answer and that explanation for what you've been wondering about in your mind during the dream, right? So he seals it up in that way. In verse 17, that he may withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from man. You can't take any credit for figuring it out. Verse 18, he keepeth back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. You're in danger. You're about to step into some horrible situation. God sends you a dream and says, don't do that. Don't go there. A great illustration of this is Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. Remember that? He was thinking about putting away Mary, and he, he had a dream. He says, no, no, no. She's with child of the Holy Ghost. Go ahead with this marriage. And then after Jesus is born, a couple years later, he gets another dream take the child to Egypt. And then another dream, bring the child back. So God was communicating through Joseph to keep Jesus safe. And that somewhat illustrates this. Verse 19, he is chastened also with pain upon his bed and the multitude of his bones with strong pain. So this guy's going through a lot of trouble. Verse 20, so that his life abhorreth bread and his soul dainty meat. He doesn't enjoy eating food anymore. You know it's got to be bad. When he doesn't enjoy Breifleis and cake and whatnot and cook sisters, I mean, that, you know, so life has gotten bad. Verse 21, his flesh is consumed away that it cannot be seen, and his bones, um, and his bones that were not seen stick out. So he's not eating much, he's losing weight. Yea, his soul draweth near unto the grave, and his life to the, to the destroyers. Things are getting bad. God is trying to tell him what to do differently in his life. And God's sending the dreams, but he can't understand them. See, he sends it once, yea, twice, but he doesn't perceive it. What does he need? Verse 23, if there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand, to show unto man his uprightness. If there was just somebody there, like a Joseph, like a Daniel, to say, here's what that means. Right? If there was somebody that had a strong enough connection with God to say, l- l- tell me your dream, let me pray about it, and then I'll, I'll try to explain that to you. Now, not everybody needs the interpreter. I'm going to show you now a couple cases, like Joseph with, with uh, the case of Mary and Jesus. He didn't need one, but sometimes you do. Verse number 24, then he is gracious unto him and saith, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. If God not only gives you the dream, but gives you the messenger slash interpreter to show you what that dream meant, that is, a, that is a, a manifestation of God's grace. Verse 24. You don't deserve that, but God is, is giving you a way out. 
So delivering you from the pit, you found a ransom. This is the way out of that problem that you probably got yourself into. And then it goes on for how things get right with God again. Now take your Bible, come back to Genesis chapter 20. So there's an example of if you're having uh, dreams and visions and things like that in the night, you're not quite sure what to do, ask somebody. God might speak through that other person. Genesis chapter 20. Let me show you a case where this man needed no interpreter for the dream. Genesis 20 verse 1. Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said, unto, uh, said of Sarah his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah. Verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man. For the woman which thou hast taken, she is a man's wife. You don't need Freud or Jung to figure out what this dream means. It means, duck buddy, you're about to die. <laughs> it means you, you've, you don't know what you just stepped into. You're in worse trouble than you realize. When God comes to you in a dream and says, you're but a dead man, well, that's pretty clear. <laughs> he hit the nail on the head. Verse 4, but Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, wilt thou, also, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? So he's... I don't want to say negotiating, but communicating, conversing with the Lord in the dream. Said he not unto me, she is my sister, and she, even she herself, said he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this. And God said unto him in a dream, yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me, therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. So this is God giving the dream and the interpretation. So sometimes it can happen in, in, in that kind of way. You remember in the New Testament where Peter, he gets hungry, he goes up on the roof, and just like every preacher on Sunday afternoon, he takes a nap, <laughs> he falls asleep before lunch gets made, and what does he dream about? He dreams about food <laughs> coming down in the, in the sheet, and, got, and the Lord says to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And, and three times, remember, Peter argues with the Lord in the dream and says, not so, Lord. No, I've, I've never eaten anything common or unclean, and the Lord says, don't you call common what I've made clean. You can eat it. Now, it wasn't until he woke up and he, there are people knocking at the door. And they're knocking at the door. And when he goes to answer the door, there's three men. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 10, right then, the Holy Spirit gave the interpretation. He made it clear in Peter's mind. I gave you the vision three times, one for each man that was coming knocking at the door. And he went, oh, now I get it. And those men said, come to Cornelius' house and preach to him. Cornelius is a Gentile, and in a Jewish mind, common and unclean. And then he put it all together. Not only can I eat a ham sandwich, but I can preach to Gentiles, right? So that, that, that dream that was about ham sandwiches and bacon, no, 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 that was actually a metaphor for Gentiles. But the Lord is the one that gives that interpretation, right? You don't want to get Freud and Young in some worldly interpretation. You want to lean on the Lord, and whatever sources the Lord will make available to you. Uh, come to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. Jeremiah, chapter 29. And verse number 8. Now, one thing you'll find all throughout the book of Jeremiah, you'll find it also in Ezekiel quite a bit, those two men were preaching at the same time. They were not necessarily co-laborers. One, they were in different areas, but uh, it was the time when 
Israel or let's say Judah was going into captivity. And a lot of false prophets were rising up in this time and saying, God gave me a dream. God gave me this dream. And every time it was a positive dream. Every time. The false prophet would rise up and say, in two years, God's going to deliver us from Babylon and everything's going to be fine. Peace, peace. And it was always some great message of prosperity. And uh, God constantly sends his real prophets to shoot that down. So verse number eight. For thus saith the Lord... Uh, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams, now watch the last part, which ye cause to be dreamed. Who caused the dream? The false prophets. Who caused the false prophets' dream? Not the devil. Right? N- not, not directly. It's saying here, these dreams came from within these men. It came from their own heart's desire, if you will. You'll find that in other verses in in this uh, book as well. Verse 9, For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. But the dreams, they caused them to be dreamed. They had such strong desires and hopes that God would undo their captivity. They wanted God to step in and deliver them that they made up in their own mind this utopian future and thought this is how it has to be you know how many christians have that same experience where they just know i just know god's going to turn everything around and make my life exactly what i want it to be i hope he does but brace yourself just in case he doesn't because that's god's decision that's god's decision ultimately right just like the apostle paul you're going through something tough job 33 Pain in the pain lying on your bed. You don't even feel like eating. You're so depressed and you're just going through a tough time. You need to go to God and say, God, take this thorn out of my flesh. And the answer just might be no. I'm going to leave that thorn there. I have a higher purpose than your comfort. That thorn is there for a greater reason. In Paul's case, it was to keep him humble. And Paul's response was, right, the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to take away the problem, but I am going to give you extra grace to deal with the problem. Isn't that what we read in Job 33? That he is gracious unto him and says, I have found a ransom. Here's your way out. You're going to keep that thorn in your flesh, but you're going to have an extra dose of God's grace. So the weaker you feel, the stronger you are because Christ steps in and has to do even more for you. The reason I point this out is because people really get caught up in, well, I had this dream, you know, I daydreamed this, and this vision came down, and that doesn't, just because you had a dream doesn't automatically mean it's the will of God and that that dream is going to come to pass in your life. Take that thing to the Lord and say, Lord, how does this line up with your word and with your will? You understand, your first line of defense is to compare whatever's happening in your mind. When you're asleep or awake, Take that thought captive unto the obedience of Christ and say, Lord, what do you want me to do with these thoughts? Do they line up with your word? If they don't, you automatically know what to do with that dream. And if you're still not sure, if it's something very specific, if God is the one trying to get your attention, he has no problems at all with you coming and saying, Lord, could you please say that again? I missed it. God, you speak once, yea, twice. I didn't perceive it, but I want to. I really want to know what you're showing me. 
please send another messenger, another interpreter, so that I can be on the same page with you. God has no problems with that, right? So take your Bible, look at chapter 23. Same book, Jeremiah 23, verse 28. Jeremiah 23 and verse 28. I guess it was about, I don't know, 20 years ago. Maybe even more now. I can't, I can't remember. I, don't, I didn't mark it down. At least 20 years ago, I started having a dream. It was a nightmare. It was. Full-on nightmare. I'd, I'd wake up every time. I'd wake up in a cold sweat, just nervous I that dream my sleep break from me it troubled me I'd wake up and I'd pray about that God what is going on why why did did you put that there and I you know it's not as if it came every Friday night or something you know it wasn't on a regular schedule but a few weeks or months would pass and I'd have that nightmare again and that nightmare has recurred for going on 20 years until this year when that nightmare came to pass Every, th- every time, the dream would have a different like setting. It wasn't in the same place. It wasn't always the same characters. There was always me and one other person was always in the dream. And then there could be other people, other places, other things going on. But the outcome of that nightmare was always the same. I always woke up heartbroken and just as bad off as I could be. And then this year it happened. And when it started to happen, I, I, it took my breath away. I I looked at the situation and I realized, oh my goodness, that is the nightmare. Now, I've been looking at that and praying about that and going, God, was that my unconscious mind picking up on something for 20 years and now I just now realized it? Or were you trying to prepare me for this? Or what exactly was that? You want to know the answer? You want to know what God told me? Nothing. (laughs) He hasn't told me yet. You know what I'm going to do about it? Nothing. Nothing. When God is ready to tell me what that meant, if it meant anything at all, then I'll do something about it. If God expects me to change something about my life based on that dream, He can make that clear, right? He can confirm that with something more authoritative than my dream. But I'm certainly not going to go turning my life upside down because I had a bad dream. There's a very good chance I ate way too much pizza. And that's all that it is, right? So I, I, I want to be careful and cautious not to make life decisions based off dreams. There is something much more authoritative than what's going on in my head. Let me show you what it is. Jeremiah 23, verse 29. Uh, 28, forgive me. Verse 28. The prophet, this is God speaking, the prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. And he that hath my word Let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord? Do you see the comparison? Chaff to the wheat. The chaff, that's something, you know, when you throw the wheat up in the air, the chaff is that little shell on the top of the wheat, and it just blows off in the wind. You remember that verse in the New Testament where Paul said, we need to be, we need to grow up and no longer be children, not blown about by every wind of doctrine. If you are basing your life and your doctrine, your theology, what you know about God, what you know about the will of God, if you're basing that off of dreams, every time the wind blows, you're going to go here and there and you'll never be stable. You'll be a double-minded man. 
well, is this, I, I don't feel like doing that, but I had this dream, now I'm over here, I had this dream over here, and there, there's no stability. God says there's something much better. The wheat, the real substantial thing is God's Word. What's the chaff to the wheat? Nothing at all. The real substantial thing is that wheat. So verse 29, Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, everyone from his neighbor. How do they steal the words? The prophet of God steps up and says, Thus saith the Lord. Here comes the words of God. And then this other prophet comes up with a, a self-made dream, right? He caused it to be dreamed out of the imaginations of his own heart and says, yes, but I had this wonderful dream. Doesn't this sound better? And in so doing, causes people to leave the words of God and will all follow this much more convenient, uh, positive dream. And, in, and they're stealing the words of God. All right, come to now to Daniel chapter 2 again. Best thing you can do to make sense of what's going on in your head is to get familiar with God's Word. You can spend thousands of rands in a psychologist's office, right? And I'm not against psychology as a whole. I think there's some profit to it. But God, you see the word psyche, that's your soul, that's your being, that's who you are. God's the one that created that. He knows what's going on in your heart and head much better than that psychologist. They can only look at the exterior, the human behavior on the outside. God's looking on the inside as well as the outside. Let Him interpret your behavior and your thoughts. And the more you immerse yourself in God's Word, it's not as if you're going to understand everything that's going on in your life, but it will give you that grounding and that stability. Chapter 2 now, Daniel 2 and verse 2. It says here, Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. All right, let's talk briefly about these groups mentioned here. Magicians. Uh, this is not like we know magicians now. You know, they're sleight of hand. It's, it's not real stuff going on. But what magicians do use, and I, I must admit there might be a small connection in this way, um, Magicians nowadays, they do use science to create an illusion. So they use a scientific fact that maybe the audience isn't aware of, and it's one of those quirky little things about science, you know, magnetism or uh, whatever it is, sleight of hand, and you think, oh, wow, look at that. How can he do that? And because you're not familiar with the science, you attribute it to some supernatural, you know, mystical thing. Okay, magicians have been doing that for a long, long time. But biblically speaking, these magicians would also use spells to manipulate what was going on. So they would think that by saying certain words and mixing certain things together. So there was some science to what they were doing. They'd mix chemicals and powders and, you know, whatever they had available to them. But they also thought they could say whatever magic words, you know, abracadabra and bam, cause something to happen. In the New Testament, in Matthew 2, Remember there where it says wise men came to visit Jesus? Remember that? The Greek word for wise men is magi. M-A-G-I. Maybe you've heard people talking about the three magi coming and all of that. And that, they, they take it from that Greek word. Now it's translated as wise men in the New Testament. Magos is the singular, magi is the plural. Well, M-A-G-I, you can see that in the word magician, right? So the magicians 
would also be considered wise men. Uh, The next group mentioned there are astrologers. These are guys that read the stars in order to learn some hidden or futuristic truth. And they're still among us today. Um, First time I ever dealt with astrology was at Chinese restaurants. I I I don't see them here. You guys don't have Chinese restaurants like we do in America. American Chinese restaurants is the biggest knockoff you'll ever see. I mean, it is not even close to real Chinese food. But when you go there, you often have a a table mat or placemat, you know, where you sit, and it'll have the, um, what's that calendar thing? Starts with a Z. Zodiac, yeah, the Zodiac signs and all of, all of that. So, you know, depending on which, where the stars were aligned when you were born, that will determine who you marry and how rich you are and maybe how smart you are, I don't know. <laughs> I, I put nothing into that, but those are the astrologers. Uh, the next one, sorcerers. This is much like we would think of a witch doctor, basically another word for a witch doctor. They <clears throat> use the spiritual realm to manipulate the natural realm. <clears throat> Sorry, and there's lots of ways that they would do this through incantations, through tripping out of their body and their spirit making contact with the spiritual world. Ancestor worship gets into this because you are contacting some other spirit, so that's part of sorcery. And then the Chaldeans is the final group. And it's really hard to narrow that down. It looks as if the Chaldeans, which is just another name for the Babylonians, they were in the same area, Chaldea, It looks like they were appointed advisors for the king. So they were like on, you know, in the king's cabinet, in the the president's cabinet, you know, uh, of members of his group that would advise him. But they also had a religious slant. You could not be on this advisory board if you did not accept the king's religion and the gods that he worshipped and so forth. So the Chaldeans would be uh, more political advisors, I think. Now, verse number three, it says, The king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. I've pointed this out before, but just to remind you, starting here in the book of Daniel, all the way to the end of chapter seven, the book is written in Syriac, not in Hebrew. All the rest of the Old Testament. There's one little snippet in Ezra uh, that is written. Ezra? Now I'm doubting, is it Esther or Ezra? One of those two books, forgive me, it's slipped my mind, but only a small portion there. Everything else is Hebrew, but this is written in Syriac. We would also call it Aramaic, all right? Now, in verse number three, if I can say one quick thing about this. I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. When you believe God is communicating with you, and you can't understand it, that is one of the greater tragedies of life. Now, now just think about that for a moment because it might be happening this morning where God is trying to communicate to you. God speaketh once, yea, twice, and man perceiveth it not. Is there anything more important this morning than God communicating a message to you? Probably not, because if it's coming from Him, you need to know it. So if there's anything that should be concerning to us is, God, I don't want to miss what you're saying to me, and I will go out of my way to understand what you're saying to me. And I can understand why somebody would be troubled. Say, I don't understand what I'm reading. I don't understand what God's doing in my life. That would be troubling. Verse 4, Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. All right, now their plan is to use their natural abilities. And, and I think you're probably familiar with this part of the story, but just read verse 5 and I'll 
close in with one other verse here. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If you will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation. So I have forgotten what I dreamt. Now it might have been last night, but it could have been two years ago. When, the time gap doesn't matter. The fact is he's forgotten what the dream was. So he says, guys, I don't want just the interpretation. I want you to tell me the dream with the interpretation thereof. He says, if you don't do that, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made a dunghill. <laughs> your house becomes the outhouse. I mean, th- this, this is pretty rough. This is severe. Well, now these guys, these advisors, they automatically know we cannot lean on our own natural abilities to solve this riddle. We have to tap into the supernatural, into the spiritual, and that they were nervous to do. Even though these guys, sorcerers, magicians, they claim to have some link to the spiritual realm, they know there's, there's limits to what they can do. They, they, they can make a thing float. They can, I, boy, I've seen, I've seen witch doctors in Malawi do some strange things. And you look at it and you go, how did he do that? I don't know. Maybe there's some science behind it. Or maybe it's magic. I don't care. Even if it is so, I'm not going to change anything about my life because he pulled off an interesting stunt and God's trying to say something. So I, I, I'll just listen to that. Take your Bible, come to 1 Corinthians 2. So these guys who claimed, you know, we have some inside knowledge into the spiritual realm. Well, maybe you do. That doesn't mean you have a connection with the Spirit of God. You know, people say, I, I had a seance and I spoke to the spirit of my grandmother. You know, and, and I know it was my grandmother or my great-great-grandmother because that, that spirit told me things that only she could have known. Right? And they go, oh man, see that now, and you've got to rely on that. Oh, why? That's not that impressive. How do you know it was your grandma? How do you know that? She said, well, she said so. R- really? You don't think an unclean spirit can show up and go, hi, I'm your grandma. By the way, that unclean spirit was there when your ancestors were there. Those unclean spirits have been around and watched everything your ancestors did. And that's why they can show up a hundred years later in a seance when you're tapping into something you have no knowledge of and go, hey, I'm your long lost uncle. My name is this and this is where I buried the treasure. And then you go unearth the treasure. Oh man, it's true, it's true. I can tap into the ancestors. No, you tapped into the unclean spirits that saw this whole thing and now they're just deceiving you. See, So that's not something stable you want to base your life on. These guys, they knew their limits. Okay, we know how to you know, create certain illusions and do certain spells, but to tell a man his dream? Oh, that's, you're asking too much. Well, not if you're Joseph, not if you're Daniel. Interpretations belong to God, so if there's something deep and hidden and God's the one hiding it, then you can go to God and ask Him to unhide it, <laughs> to manifest it. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 8. Verse 8, it says, which none of the princes of this world knew. They didn't know all this hidden wisdom. None of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. That's a quote from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. 
Well, that's a great verse, right? And, and many times we quote this to say, we don't know how great heaven's gonna be. We don't know how great God is gonna be when we meet him. You know, it's just gonna be great. And that's true, that's true. But look at the next word. The next word, but. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, the heart hasn't understood it, but God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. So I can understand what's going on in another man's life, another human's life, because I'm human. But when it comes to God communicating to you, well, another human with his spirit is not going to be able to help me that much. We're going to have to tap into the Spirit of God. So the answers are available. Even though naturally your eye, your ear, your heart can't figure it out, the Holy Spirit can step in and connect all the dots. We'll see in chapter 2 a great illustration of that, how Daniel steps in with the Spirit of God and makes sense out of it. All right, let's all stand if you would, please. Father, thank you this morning. We're able to see uh, this morning once again that the intelligence and wisdom of this world will fall short. And Lord, we depend on you to guide us into all truth. And as we progress this morning and go into our service, we, we look for that further. We desire to hear what you have to say to us. We want to have ears to hear. So guide us, Lord. Bless our